Hey, and welcome into episode 80 of the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. I am looking forward to you hearing today's guest. One of my favorite people, I'm not going to lie. We share a lot of things in common. He is uh, vital to geek culture, I think, in Chicago. And I love talking to him. So I'm glad that he had time to to fit in and come and hang out in studio with me. It's Marcus Lashock. Marcus is a, a reporter for WGN. He's on the anchor desk. You see him on what they lovingly refer to as the B-team morning show, which goes on from 4 a.m. till 6 a.m. He has a an incredible podcast himself called Coast in the Country that's all about roller coasters, which he loves, which we will get into. Um, I also really like how informed and passionate he is about movies. And he's a top-notch journalist. And I often refer to him as Professor Lashak because he is a professor. And I don't know how many people know that, but whether he was teaching at DePaul, which I found out a few years ago, or now he's at Northwestern or his beloved NIU, he's done a great job of trying to help young people learn more and be better about the business. And we spend a good amount of time talking about that too. I find him to be one of the, the more interesting people inside of, of the, the business in Chicago. His work ethic is unbelievable. I, I don't know how he handles getting up at the hour that he gets up. And it's something that we discuss in the podcast today is getting up early and what that does to your body and all of that good stuff. But it's really just two guys talking about a lot of stuff that they love, including our passion for, for learning more and teaching more about journalism. It's fun. If, if you love Marcus, you'll love this. And if you like, don't know a lot about Marcus, you're going to be like, man, that dude's pretty cool. So, Sit back, relax, and strap it down. This is me talking movies and everything else with Marcus Lashock. I was a kid, and my dad uh, was a big movie person. So um, can I say this? I think I can. If you would have walked into my basement, like if the FBI would have walked into my basement when I was a kid, my dad probably would have done some time because he had every movie like recorded on VHS. You know that warning that yes. comes up in the beginning, like FBI warning, do not make a copy of this or else you'll go to prison or whatever. I mean, he wasn't stealing movies from the studio, but he would make copies of them. So we had like 400 movies in our basement. Um, and so he just loved the movies. So I always was watching things. And I, thinking back, like I think the first movie I ever saw in the theater was Top Gun. I was about five or six years old. My, my dad flew in the Navy. So he took me. He's like, I want you to see the jets on the big screen, what the jets are like. And then I remember the whole ride home, he was like explaining to me how Top Gun is nothing like that. Forget everything you saw. <laughs> it's garbage, blah, blah, blah. So I remembered like – I. it's funny I look back to that because not only was it – it was cool to be at the movies seeing something like that, but then it was also to he, cool to hear – 
the critical analysis of why the movie is flawed and doesn't work and is not an accurate representation of reality. So I was always getting that. I was watching things when I was a kid that I probably shouldn't have been watching at the ages I was, but I was always getting the analysis of here's what this means, here's what this is. And so I always had that, and so I was always, like, critically looking at things, which I think was good. What's the movie that you've watched the most? Movie that I've watched the most? Um, Probably Dumb and Dumber, (laughs) something like that. If you want, like, a movie that I'll just put on any time that I can watch anywhere, anytime, something like that. I think that – and I – not only is it hilarious, but I think just from, like, a screenwriting perspective, it's one of the best scripts ever. In the way that the narrative works and how every single line is almost a home run joke. Like, there are so many great jokes in that movie. Just joke after joke after joke that works. And you think about how many comedies there are now that aren't like that. Like, it's just a really funny movie um, that's just rewatchable and really fun to watch. Did you have any thought at all about maybe joining the Navy or becoming a pilot yourself? No. Um, the roller coaster thing makes sense now, though. You think so? Yeah. He, I mean, we always went. Like, that was the other thing, how I got into that. My my dad and I would go to Great America all the time. Like, that was our thing. We went there, and we would, and it took, I was I was probably like 11 or 12 by the time I got on, like, the bigger rides. I was always too scared. But once I got on, once I rode Shockwave at Great America, I don't know if you remember the old Shockwave. I but do. It, yeah. And once I rode that, I was hooked. I'm like, all right, I can go upside down. I loved it. And that was great. And I didn't get severely injured on it, which was also very good good for a ride like Shockwave. But um, so, yeah, we had that. I guess I never – and I never had like, oh, I, I'll never join the military. It was just nothing that – I was a really small kid. And, I mean, now I'm 6'4", 220, <laughs> a pure muscle. But back then I was small. And so I couldn't make – and I, I grew up in Schaumburg, so I played basketball throughout my life. But once I got to, like, middle school, I couldn't make the team. Like, I was just too small and I wasn't good enough. Like, we had great teams. Uh, I couldn't play football. I was too small to play football. I would get killed. So I just never really had a military – not that I had an aversion to it, but I just was never anything on my mind. It wasn't on your radar. No, and my dad went and he was in the Navy, but he – back then, like, gosh, he was born in 35 – so when he flew, it was a long time ago, and his eyes went bad, and your eyes went bad back then. You just couldn't fly anymore. Right. So that was what, for him, uh, that's what that's how kind of ended his time in the Navy. He became an engineer eventually. But it was never like a thing of like his dad and then his dad before him went in or anything like that. So I never really had a – I never really had like a, wow, I should really join that. But I'd love – I do all this stuff for veterans now. It's like a big thing uh, on my mind because – you know, he was in, and I know a lot of people that are Navy guys. Your role at Channel 9 is really unique. And I think from looking around like at different news stations around the country, because you're, you're kind of the tech guy, but you're kind of the pop culture guy. And you're quasi-movie guy. How did how did this de- <laughs> and I do sports and you and I, and, anch- and I anchor the news a lot? How did this develop where you were you kind of carved out your own niche right. and they allowed it to happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a weird thing. There's no whenever I call in sick, the desks the desk always asks, uh, "Is there someone we should call to fill in for you?" <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, 
I'm like, no, there really, there really isn't. There really isn't somebody who just totally somebody. I'm not saying that people can't do my segment, my trending news segment in the morning, but there's no like. Um, it, it's a weird thing because there, my job wasn't posted on the website that I applied for. And I was working on this entertainment show on CLTV, Metromix, and WGN was kind of in the process of merging with CLTV and they were bringing CLTV over. But bef- I came over before that. And, you know, I got called into the office, my boss's office at the time, Steve Farber, and he said, you know, WGN wants to bring you over. And I was like, great. To do what? He's like, I don't know. But you just want to do it, right? You, you're going to do that. I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. And I went there and met everybody. And Jen Lyons, who's our news director now, I kind of knew her a little bit. And she was kind of instrumental in that, I think. And the news director at the time was instrumental in it. And they said, all right, we like what you, we love what you do. We love everything that you do over there. And I w- at the time I was doing all this like digital stuff. I was kind of doing like YouTube vlogging before that was a thing. Yes, you were. And I was doing, they loved that. But they're like, and I'm like, so do you want me to do that on TV? And they were like, no. <laughs> because back then, I mean, this was 2009. So the stuff that I do now and like my trending news segments would had no place on TV back then. Like it's, TV was still doing TV like it was 1995. You know, so I didn't really, I sat there for about two weeks in the newsroom. At with WGN. them not knowing what yes. to do with you. Yeah. And I was getting paid and just kind of sitting there and I was sending ideas and they were like, okay, okay, uh, we'll figure it out. And after about two weeks, I was like, look, I... I need to do something like I and they were like, we, we know. And so they kind of figured it out and they carved out this feature role for me and they were changing the evening news. So they had sort of my own segment where I would go and kind of like what around town, what Annabelle Ball does in the morning. So I would either be live somewhere or I'd be taping a feature on a place. And I started to do a lot of food stories and it just kind of evolved into this position of what kind of things interest me, like what stories and topics and things interest me. And I felt like if I was interested enough in it, there would be some other people that I could tell the story in a way that other people would be interested in that story. And to do it in a way where it was different than all the other stories you were seeing on the news. So when I popped up, it, the idea, the goal for me was always, and it still is, when somebody's walking around in their house and they see my segment pop up, they want to stop and watch the TV while that's on. You want to have something where somebody's like, all right, I got to see that because he's going to tell me something that I didn't already know or it's going to be interesting enough where I'm going to want to know that information. And so I've always come at it that way. And over the over time, it evolved. And I've been there 10 years now. Wow. Um, yeah. What's it like to work at a place where you have freedom to be able to do some of the stuff that you do? It's phenomenal. It's great. I mean, you're you're in a similar spot where here you are doing a podcast, talking to somebody like me. You're at a sports radio station, right? But you're doing this. And so to be able to have, like, a room where you can go in and just create something is great. It leads to a lot more work for you, and it leads to a lot sure. more work for me. So I have to balance that out of I could be there all day doing all kinds of stuff, but I also have a family and kids and all of that. But it's to have, and I think that's why we've been really successful at WGN is because we've had management. And right now our, our news director, and I'm not just saying this because she's my boss right now, but – she really puts people in – she trusts her people. I'm going to put you in this position, and I'm going to uh, let you kind of push your creative limits of what you're going to do. And sometimes we go too far, and then we have to have another meeting. <laughs> it's like, Let's reel it well, back in. You shouldn't have done this, or we're going too far in that direction. And it's good to have that too. It's good to have somebody else kind of telling you like, ah, you need to tone this down, or we need to go more in this direction as opposed to that direction. But it's – 
it's I tell this every every time I go and speak somewhere where there's like management involved, even if it's not media, I always tell them to let their employees grow. Like let them if they have ideas, let them let them creatively explore those. Not to the point where they can fail and bring down your company or anything like that, but just to the point where once you get that – and you never know where that's going to turn into to a different revenue stream, to a different segment that could lead to anything else. So it's been – it's great. Short answer. The the Channel 9 morning shows – and I'm going to say plural now because you know you guys joke about being the B team and, or whatever. I also find that to be a unique – thing uh, for television across America. Why do you think what Channel 9 has done over the last 25 years with the morning show has been so successful? Um, I don't... This is, this is another question a lot of people ask, but I don't think that there's any secret recipe or secret sauce to it. I mean, it just goes to the whole, like, Chicago's very own thing. They just let us be ourselves. There's nobody. I'm not getting notes every day from somebody in New York City who is telling me, oh, you need to look like this. You need to sound like this. We need to do this this way. It's been a it, – it's just a thing where we can organically grow on the air together. And a lot of times when we first – this team that we're on now, of course, the Larry, Paul, and Robin have been together forever. And Pat's been there a long time too. So – you know, over 20-plus years, they develop a chemistry together and everything that they do. But as far as, like, this early team, we've been together about, like, four, three, four years now, something like that. And it takes time, and it's awkward for a while. And when I first moved to the early mornings, like, we were not winning. I think it was in, like, second or third place. And it was still trying to get those people to tune in before 6 o'clock to help that, to lead into that 6 o'clock. That was the goal is to, like, build up the early shows. But then – if you put people in a position and you give them time to grow and you're patient with it, you don't see that. You see that so much in our business now. Like the rating isn't there after six months. You're out. You're out. I got to bring this new person in. And you keep shuffling the chairs and the viewers are like, what? Like I just started to kind of know that person. Now this person's in. And then after a while, people don't connect with your product. So I think there's been something special about that, like letting the awkwardness sort of develop out not that it isn't awkward now because it's awkward a lot. <laughs> it is awkward a lot. And we make that a bit too, that we're sometimes uncomfortable silence and we don't know what we're doing. Um, and that's part of it as well is just accepting our failure. Like we fail a bit at WGN and we've turned that into our thing. Like, yeah, we're going to screw up technically and verbally and, you know, but we sort of own that too where when you watch us, you're watching real people tell you the information. And at the core of it, though, has always been, this is stress from the news management, our news directors and our general manager, has always been, we we have to get the news right. Like, we have to get that news right. So when people tune in, they're actually getting information. It's not just like a zany morning zoo where craziness is happening all the time. You might remember those moments, but in between all that, there's real news and there's people there that can you can tune into and trust that if something's going on, that... I know Larry Potash is going to be able to steer the ship and give me the information, like a trusted news source. Um, same thing with Robin, uh, and it's just in our early team as well. But 
So at the core of it is the news and the information, but then letting all the other stuff develop organically, not forcing bits, not forcing people to do things and just letting it grow on its own. It, it, what I find interesting about the the B team, the, the group that's on in the morning, and I also love that you guys refer to yourself as the B team because to me that's – the B team was where it was at, man, high school. That's where it was, yeah. that's where the real players are. Um, <laughs> what I love is is that when I look at the way that it's set up, where you do have, I worked with Lauren. Lauren is a hardcore journalist. Yeah. Dan, serious guy. Like, and then on the outskirts of it, Jindra is a blast. Like, yep. she's so fun and her personality just pops off the screen. Obviously, I'm sitting here talking to you and the addition of, of Morgan Kochmeyer mm-hmm. to, to this thing has added this added dimension of yeah, if you guys have something that breaks, I I know that I can trust the the two people that are on the desk. But I also love that you guys bring out of them the personality yes. that being news people for a decade, you know, it, it, it gets pushed down. Like right. I tell people all the time how funny Lauren is because I've been in the newsroom with Lauren. I know what she's like. But when the camera comes on and she's trying to deliver the news. She is sitting up straight. She is telling you what is happening. So I like that there's almost like this circus like around them that allows them to kind of fly their their freak flag a little bit. Well, And when our show first started, Roseanne Teus was the anchor with uh, Larry and she was that role like everyone else was nuts. And she was there was always like there's one person who and I'm not saying Lauren's like stiff or anything like that, like what you're saying, but who's kind of. Um, gotta like be like the the moral, not the moral ground, but like like what you're saying, like the person in the center who's like, all right, this is this is insanity. Let's bring it back in. Like she's always gonna bring it back in to. A, she's just classy. Like she's very just much got, so. She just like exudes class, but at the same time, she's really fun. She's got a great personality. Like the other day, we were talking about somebody asked us. We do this anchor chat question on Fridays, and it was like, what would your theme? what would your theme song be for your life or something like that? And we all went and said something and she was like, probably gin and juice. What? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, she's like, wait a second, maybe not. I'm like, let's dig up those lyrics real quick. Yeah. Let's, let's take it from the top here. Cause I think there's something that I don't know. She's like, never mind. Let's move on to the next thing. <laughs> well, I, I guess there were some fun times at Harvard. Apparently, I Harvard and uh, whatever, whatever <laughs> North suburb she grew up in. I was like, oh man, I should have been hanging out at Stevenson back and, in yeah, the day. Stevenson, that's right. Oh my uh, goodness, oh, no, that's so a, great to know. So it's just fun that uh, we're in a place where everyone's comfortable enough to let a little bit of their personality out, and we will rip on each other for that kind of stuff forever. You know, it's just. And it's great, and it's we all text all day, so we're all real tight. You guys like it's, hang too? Yeah, sometimes when we have time. We I think we hung one time. We had like a pool party at Sarah's house, and that was fun. Well, what's it like to to do mornings? Like, cause you've been doing mornings for a while now. Like, how how do you do you continue to do it and not go completely insane with children? Um. It's getting harder because my kids are getting older and they are in sports. So my daughter is swimming now. She made her swim team at the swim club. And so there's a lot of swim practice, a lot of swim meets. uh, And, you know, they're both playing basketball. So there's just things during the week that you want to be at as a parent. You want to. And now once they get into like 
right now their games are on the weekends, but at some point their games are going to be on weeknights sometimes. And I don't want to miss that stuff. And I should be in bed about 8 o'clock or so, which is rough. You know, that's that's tough. But the great thing about this shift as a dad is the summer. Because I'm done between, depending on the day, like I could be done as early as 8.30, and sometimes I'm doing taping podcasts or taping stories and things like that where I'm there a little bit later, maybe to like 11 or something. But for the most part, I'm home all day. So when I get home, like my kids are home all day. I'm home all day with my kids. So they know that like dad's always there. Like dad's always around. I might have to take a nap and like outside in like a hammock or something while they're running, <laughs> while they're running around. But um, it's good in that sense. But it's still, man, like when you and anybody who listens to this, whoever works like a third shift or something like that, it takes a toll on your body physically. Not getting eight hours of sleep every night, waking up at weird times in, of the morning. And the more I'm reading about what that does to your body physically, it's not it's not ideal, <laughs> right? So you wonder like how long can somebody do it? But for right now, I feel I feel good. I'm, I'm tired a bit, but it's a great Mornings are great as far as TV goes. A lot of people watch TV in the morning still compared to other parts of the day. Because if you think about it, when people are up in the morning, they're getting ready for work. I'm going to flip the TV on. So it's like, hear what's going on in the world. So I get straightened out, maybe have a laugh or two, and then I'm out the door. I think the average person watches for about 20 minutes in the morning, something like that. So um, it's a good place to be. It's number one show. So there's a lot of perks that come with it. It's just the the downside, man, is getting up at one thirty to two thirty in the morning. You've filled in on the show before, yeah. Not you filled in like the later hours, but still, like even then, you're no. Probably I mean, getting I'm, up I'm, at three wa- o'clock. Yeah, I was yeah. walking in the door at four. Yeah, you know, to, to to do that first sports cast. Yeah, so you're getting up like three, three o'clock or something. Yeah, yeah. It's not fun. I've always I've always felt that that morning shows take years off your life. No disrespect. No, it's uh, true. <laughs> I, it's probably true. But. I've also I also think that four o'clock is a time that doesn't exist because mm-hmm. it's not late and it's not early. It's just kind of there, and you're like every time that I've had to deal with doing a morning show and I'm up at four, it would always go why why like why am I doing <laughs> this? And it's- I'm sure you're thinking getting up at one thirty. Why? Yeah, it's funny. We look at the ratings every day from the day before, and sometimes the 4 a.m. is like the number's gigantic. And then some days there's nobody. It's like, what is the deal? Like, why is someday there's this huge amount? Maybe somebody st- people stayed up late, and it could just be a couple of boxes that were on. It's very complicated, but um, yeah, man. It's just, I always think of that episode. I don't know if you watch a lot of The Simpsons, but I was a big Simpsons I do. fan. And there's the episode where Bart gets punished and he has to wake up at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning to go uh, with Skinner to look at, like, constellations or something through his telescope. And he, the alarm goes off and it's like, like the DJ's like, ah, it's 4 o'clock in the morning and everyone's asleep in their comfy, comfy beds. Good night, everybody. <laughs> goes I'm like, that's what I think about every time my alarm goes off. Like, I'm walking out of the house, my cat's sleeping in the bed, my wife's sleeping, all my kids are sleeping. And I'm like, man, this stinks. Bad. And you got to be like quiet, like you're yeah. trying to get ready no, and get out before you. can't have the music you... bumping to get right. fired up or anything like that. No, no, you've got to be quiet, like sneaking around the house to not wake anybody up. But do you have any tips for anyone that might t- 
take on this lifestyle of yours? Like if if there if there's a young broadcaster that their first gig is going to be working or a producer mm-hmm. or whatever, they're going to be working on a morning show. Is there any advice you could give them on what to do and how to best manage it? Um I you got to do whatever works for you and you have to stick to it. Stay consistent. So for me I take an hour nap every day. You got to get that in because if you have one day where you don't uh, it derails the rest of the week. So, like, stick to whatever works for you and keep that consistent. But uh, the thing I love about the shift is it will – you will know after working hours like these if this is what you love to do. Because there's a, there's, a, there's a period in the morning when I wake up probably for, like, a minute where I'm processing in my mind what my next move could be so I don't have to do this ever again. I mean, I'm not kidding. Every day when the alarm goes off, I'm like, that's it. I don't, that's, this is the last time. This is the last time I want to get up at two. But then after like 30 seconds or a minute, I'm like, all right, I remember now. I love this. And especially once I get to work, I love it. But there's that period where it's like, what am I doing with my life? Like, why am I doing this? There's probably other work I could find where I wouldn't have to get up at this time. I could probably even go into my manager's office and be like, I need to work a different hour. And she would probably figure something out. But it's just, but then when you're there, it's like, this is why I'm doing it. I love it. I love the team. I love the hours. I love the job that I have and all the different things I get to do. So um, it's, in a way, it's a really great shift because you then will figure out. Because if you don't love it, you're out. Like, then I'm not. If I'm going to get up at that hour and then go and do something that I hate or I'm not 100% in, you're done. When did you become a certified geek? In your mind? I think I was always a geek, but when we grew up, it wasn't cool to be a geek. Nope. Right? And I think that's what's great for kids now. And I love seeing people like Ninja, um, guys like that who were playing video games in high school, where was working at Noodles and Company in Gray's Lake and putting the work in, streaming. And I'm sure people were like, what is this guy doing? What a loser. What a nerd. Total geek. He's just going home playing on his computer. People still say that about him. You know, like, oh, yeah, what a do- these dorks just yeah, play, play the, games all day. millionaire yeah, dork. He's, he's making like $10 million a month, <laughs> right? But I love it because I think it's it's probably a lot easier. It's probably a lot easier for kids these days growing up who have interests like we do, who are into all this geeky stuff because it's cool now. Like, it's a lot of it's cool. I mean, there's still bullying and that's awful. But when, when we were kids, a lot of that um, – you know, you you kind of, I don't know if you kind of kept it in, but it wasn't as mainstream as it is today. So I think I was always interested in that stuff, as I mentioned with my dad and um, his love of movies. But then also we always had computers in our house, and I was always taking apart computers and building computers. So we always had, like, some kind of computer, and I was going down to, like, the computer store and buying, like, a new hard drive. that I Wow. Could, I remember when I bought, like, a... Like a 16 megabyte hard drive was like such a huge deal. And like to open like 16 megabytes now is like, but that was huge. I was like, wow, this huge hard drive. So I was taking computers apart and putting new hard drives in and that kind of thing. So um, I've always loved technology. And my dad is, was always a very like proponent of, I want my kids to have like a computer. Like I want to have the latest computer. And so he always invested money into that to have like a computer in the house so we could do that. That's pretty that's fantastic. Yeah. That that he was supportive in that way. Like he's pushing you to 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 kind of be involved in it more. Right. And I remember when Windows first came out and he got Windows. 
And I was still using DOS. And he's like, stop using DOS. Use the Windows. I'm like, I hate Windows. This is dumb. Nobody's ever going to use this. It takes forever to load. And then when you get – it took forever to load. It took like 10 minutes to load the stupid program. And then you got into it. Like, why am I doing this? I could have done, done all this in DOS. It's like, you need to learn this. Everyone's going to be using it. I'm like, no, they're not. Nobody's ever going to use this. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Marcus LeShock, <laughs> tech genius. <laughs> right? right? <laughs> I've had a couple of things like that. Like when Facebook first came out and I was at – I was at CL TV and uh, a couple of the other producers there. Jackie Tranquita, you remember yeah. her? Yeah, and Pizza uh, Bagel, Matt, as, as right. she would refer Matt, to herself. Matt Knutson, who is now like the head of programming at ABC in town. Like, yeah, he has, like all this. He's going to be on the pod soon. He, as he soon should. as I get him some time. But I remember he was like, he's like, oh yeah, using the Facebook. I'm like, what is that? He's like, well, you post your pictures on it. Everyone shares the pictures. I'm like, this is so stupid. Like nobody's ever like that's a college thing. Like you're out of college now. Grow up. Get away from that. We're going to focus on something else. So I was wrong with that. I don't know. I think then, eventually you're going to be proven right. <laughs> you're going to be right. And then uh, Jackie was watching. I was getting Netflix DVDs in the mail. She's like, oh, I've been watching all my Netflix on the computer. I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, I watch it. Like I load it on like my desktop at home and I watch the movies that way. I'm like, are you serious? So like load them on. Why would you ever do that? Just get. They send you the DVDs now. Like nobody's ever going to do that. Old man yells at clouds. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> but you know what? It's just I've always loved technology, but um, and I'm fascinated with people who make calls on that. Think about Netflix, like the DVD, and they went all in on this digital, and then they were spending just ridiculous amounts of money doing all this original content. People, are like, what are they doing? Like they're spending all this money. There's no way they're going to compete with the studios. Now here they are. Like it's just. Now they're competing with studios for movies. They're creating television. Yeah. Not all the programming's great, but a lot of it is. Well, that's their thing. Throw everything against the wall and something will stick. But let's just keep throwing everything up there and then, boom, Stranger Things. Boom, House of Cards. Like, you've got Orange is the New Black. Like, you've got your things that's your anchors then that enable you to do all this other stuff. So... Um, I don't know how I got off that tangent, but I've always been geeky into that thing. Even if it was something I didn't think would be successful, ended up being, I'm still always fascinated with it. I think that's the difference. Like some people look at it and say, you know, the old man yells at cloud thing, like this is stupid. TikTok is garbage. Like when I see young people gravitating towards something, my first instinct is I want to dig into that. Why? Wanna, why is it interesting? Yeah, I want to know what is that, and not just how I can cap- capitalize on it for like my own brand, but. Just what are people fascinated about? Like, why are they so into that? I think that makes, if you want to be a journalist, that makes, that makes, they'll make you a better journalist just being more curious about things. Like, why are people into that? What is it? How can I understand more about it? Even if I'm probably never going to be a big TikToker because I'm not a 15 year old kid, but I still know about it, right? And knowing about it is really important. Yeah. It it is because you need to know what's happening and how your industry. Is changing, and that's one of the ways that that your industry is changing. Like that's why I've kind of gone a little bit all in on the podcast thing because mm-hmm. I still think that the podcast market is not oversaturated yet, and it gives it gives me a way to connect with a listener in that's completely different from the radio show. And I like that it's uninterrupted stuff. At least it can be that right. that I can sit here and talk with you for thirty minutes and. Not it not be broken up, and the person that's on their commute can listen and enjoy it, and all of that stuff. It's it's uh, a changing time. Uh, since we're on the subject, yeah. How much do you like teaching? Oh, I love it. I love it. So I teach at Medill at Northwestern. I taught it to Paul. I know you are you at the Paul. I still am. Yeah, still though, good. 
Great. As we we have we now have a a uh, sports major, sports com major. That's awesome. Which is insane to me. Yeah, it's great. It's a great school, and um, to be at Medill is just. It's what's really great about Medill is that a lot of the students that are there, and mostly with the classes I'm teaching, I'm teaching like multimedia journalism classes. They are freshmen, right? But some of these freshmen, like these are the best of the best mm-hmm. students. And so some of them are like, like wow, you're ready. You're but, really advanced already. Yeah, but like maturity still needs to happen. So like it's funny to find like students that are so good that need to be like brought down a little bit. But then there's the students that like need to be brought up a little bit. So like trying to figure out like how do you, how do you help? And it's not like I'm teaching them everything they know. But it's like I feel like I'm I'm sort of in a position there where you can help shape where where there's already skill, there's already talent, right? And so you're just kind of like fine-tuning like talent and like getting the best out of them. So to see like in some of these classes, there's there's there'll be a student who says, you know, I want to work for write for a magazine. But in this class, you have to take this class where you learn photography, you learn how to shoot video, you learn how to make a video package, you learn how to do uh, some coding, like you learn all these skills. And so you find some of these students who are like, I don't have any interest in this. But then by the end, they're, they've never picked up a camera. And by the end, they were like excelling at it. And you can tell that something's clicking with them. And so they might end up writing for a magazine. But this day and age, if you, if you can write for, you know, Time Magazine, and then you can pick up a camera while you're out on your report in the Middle East, and you can turn like a video package while you're doing that, like how valuable is that for you as a journalist? Like that's great skill to learn so um everyone is everything now yeah there there used to be a time where you could go well i'm a radio host Mm -hmm. okay well you're going to need to do television and probably write a little bit too to promote what you do on the radio or i'm a writer okay that's great but you're still going to end up on radio or doing a podcast or on tv to promote what you're writing it's 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 something that i try to get across when people will say well i want to do what you do Okay, I do a lot. I, I I'm on a couple of different platforms and it's you have to be nimble and versatile enough that you're going to be able to to kind of navigate the way that media is changing. I had a com- I love going back to this. I had a conversation with Mike Hall of Big Ten Network. And he won Dream Job. Remember Dream Job on ESPN? Oh yeah. So he won it. Oh, okay. And now and one of the things he said to me was the job that I have now, him being at Big Ten Network, didn't exist when I won Dream Job because Big Ten Network didn't exist back then. Wow. And thinking about if you have it all planned out, like I always had in my mind, oh, I'll be a sports center anchor by the time I'm 27. And then you realize, like, I kind of don't want to live there. Like, I don't want to be in Bristol, mm-hmm. Connecticut. I want to mm-hmm. be in Chicago and how the how you will have to change to – fit into a media world that's ever evolving. Right. I never thought this I always ask when I when I speak to like the big lecture hall, I always say like how many of you have your lifelong dream is to work in local television news? And nobody raises their hand, right? And I wouldn't have raised my hand. But getting to work where I work and be able to do all the different things that I do is I can I don't have any real I shouldn't say this to my management, but I don't really have any aspiration to go anywhere and do anything else. I really like where um, where I'm at. But going back to what you're saying is it's so important now. And I think this is not just a media thing. I think it's just America in general. 
Like people are doing more at their jobs. People are no longer like it's it's just any profession mm. you are in, even like I go to the doctor and like the doctor's complaining because, oh, I had to learn how to do this and type this into this thing. Like even the doctor's doing more. It doesn't just come in anymore and write something and send you on your way. They're doing a bunch of other different things. They've got a blog they're writing on their, you know, website. They're doing television. I know, right? Doing They're doing television to promote their corporate-owned company uh, hospital that they're affiliated with. So, if, so you want to be a writer, right? And there are some people who – there are some people who will just be writers because they're so stinking good at writing, right? They'll, they will write for magazines and they will write books and they will be millionaires. But – the best of them can go on television and talk about their article. Can you go on somewhere and be interviewed and be engaging and bring your work to life? So those are the skills that you need to learn this day and age, I think. What's your favorite thing about your students? Um, I think the, the favorite thing for me about it is just it, it, it helps keep me um, – I don't know the word for it is, but it keeps me like I feel like I'm always learning when I'm there. Like just I love it when like a topic comes up and some news event. We do like these current events quizzes and then just through the through that a discussion will break out. And to hear them from an 18 year old mind talk about what's going on in the world or and they get into arguments and to hear their like worldviews changing and just where they're at, because I'm as a 39, 8-year-old, you know, 20 years older than some of these people, I'm like, wow, like they don't have any, <laughs> they don't have any of the life experiences yet. So I think some of that is, is great. And just, again, just my favorite thing is to see, like, throughout the quarter to see how much they grow, even in, like, eight, nine weeks. It's amazing. Like, just, just to see that. And I think that's what keeps you coming back to do it because it's not like you're getting rich going there and doing that. But there's something about just – there's something about watching that like change and that growth and seeing in like somebody click, right? And then to follow them wherever they go after that. So like, wow, they're actually doing that. And to see you were kind of there when that happened, it's neat. It's, it's a, a, it's a, a really, thing. really cool thing. Yeah, any teacher can say that, I'm sure. Even going down to elementary school and high school, middle school, I'm sure that's what keeps teachers coming back and doing that. When the light clicks on... When, even if, if if you have a student that you don't think that necessarily has a high skill level, but they get it, and now they can they can turn their hard work into mm-hmm. a career, even if they aren't as talented as someone else may be. Oh, that's so right. it's so amazing to see that type of growth happen. Right, and let's be honest: there's always going to be somebody more talented than you. Yep. Everybody. There's people at WGN that I can't write as good as Mike Lowe writes, one of our reporters. Phenomenal writer. I'll never be as good of a writer as him. Um, But there's other things I can do that he really can't do. Like there's just – that's just – so that's the other thing too is like what I was saying before is figuring out the difference between – everyone's so different. Like everyone has their own path and their own things that make them special, right? And like honing in on that and saying like this is you. Like figuring out – your, I always say this, like, figure out your voice and whatever it is you do, whether it's media or anything else. Like, figure out what is what is your voice and how can you develop that and grow that in whatever profession that you're in. Like, how can you – and then use that to help your company or help your brand or do this or that. So, Who's the most interesting person that 
you've interviewed um, through work? Like, who's someone that that the experience will last with you for the rest of your career? Man, I don't know. Do you have one? Like, who would yours be? I mean, this year with Joe Madden, I feel like you're you get to do more like longer format interviews for sure. Great. And those were great having Joe Madden for what an hour. No, no, no. Work? It wasn't an hour, but was we it, we made it consistently there, like twenty twenty five. Yeah, okay. Minutes. It was a while. You yeah. would have him for a while, and to be able to develop that relationship. Yeah, we stretched some boundaries with the clock and all that for stuff. A lot of like the interviews I did, like celebrity interviews wise, those are all like junk interviews where they're like four minutes or so. I mean, every once in a while there was. It, was there anyone that that? didn't treat you like you were on a conveyor belt or like a factory yeah, line def- definitely and there were there were things moments like that that i've told this story i don't know if i've told you this story but when i walked in to interview sylvester stallone for the first time and i was very young in this job like i had, i was maybe like the third or fourth person celebrity i'd interviewed and i walked in and rocky's looking at me like i grew up watching all his movies you know and he's looking at me like i'm gonna listen to this guy I'm, like he's gonna listen to me you know and I was so stinking nervous. But, like, right away, we connected on, like, some watch he was wearing or something. Like, it, to, I always tell people this, too. Like, the most important parts of any interview are the moments before the camera's rolling. Because you've got, particularly in situations like that, when you only have a few minutes with somebody you're talking to, you have to set the energy. You have to make that person comfortable with you. Saying, like, okay, I'm safe with this, with this guy. I'm safe with this girl. Who, not saying you have to, like, Tell them you're going to toss up softballs, but just create an energy where they're comfortable, right? Like, oh, okay, I feel, I feel like comfortable with this person. I'm going to talk to them now. And so I just always, I always wanted to walk in the room now like, oh, I'm your biggest fan, blah, blah, blah. I wanted to walk in like, hey, I'm just a guy doing this. Really nice to talk to you. And just so they're like, okay, I can feel comfortable talking to him. And so when we did that interview, I, um, I pivoted from like, because he was promoting the Rocky Balboa movie, which was coming after Rocky V, which was garbage. Yeah, Rocky Balboa is under is an underappreciated film. Yes. and I love that movie. I loved it. And this is what we were talking about. But I really wanted to talk to him about Rocky V. Like, are, are you doing this because you really want to get back into Rocky? Or were you doing this because you feel like you screwed up? Like, Rocky ended terribly. And no matter how good the first Rocky was, it ended on just such a terrible note. So being able to tell that without insulting Sylvester Stallone, who I just met, who could throw me through like three walls in that room. <laughs> I don't know what kind of guy he is. I don't know if he's going to be, who's this guy coming in here and blah, 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 because I've had that happen too. But um, right away, he's like, you know, I want to stop you right there. And I can't do the impression, but he's like, I, 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 I just want to get this out there and I want to apologize for that movie. Like I felt like it was awful and I let the fans down. And I was like, wow, I've never really heard you say it like that. <laughs> you know, and he felt really comfortable to say that. And when I left the room, the guys who were running the cameras said that he hadn't said that all day. Like, he hadn't felt that. I don't know. So it was something that, not That's saying it was dope, a big deal man. for me, but it was just. such huge. But it was like he felt comfortable enough to critis- think critically of some of his work that it was clear I was coming to him from a positive place, but. I was acknowledging, tapping into something that he was acknowledging, like, people hated that movie, you know? Um, so I guess, like, there, there have been memorable moments like that. The Rock was always awesome. Like, a guy who would, and if you watch The Rock, not just on screen, but if you go on his Twitter account, like, when he does these movie junkets, he retweets 
every interviewer. He goes back on his Twitter. He finds all the interviewers who talk to him. Whatever they tweeted, he will retweet it and, like, pub them and say, hey, it was great talking to you and remember something from the conversation that they had. He takes the time to do that. And he will remember you. Like, after a certain amount of time, you talk to him enough times, he will remember what you talked about last time. There's just people like that that they go the extra mile to Hmm. to acknowledge that, yeah, look, these junkets, we're doing a great thing for you. We're setting you up in this hotel or something like that. But at the same time, like acknowledging, like, I appreciate that you're taking the time out of your day to help me promote this thing. Um, Take the time to ask me questions. You know what I mean? And it's just stuff like that you walk away from. I want to be more that kind of person. Like, I want to be an encouraging, like, positive force to other people as opposed to just, uh, you know, diva talent. So those are the things I've walked away from saying, like, wow, I really felt good after that person talked to me in a way that they didn't have to. I can't let you out of here without talking about roller coasters. Mm -hmm. What's a roller coaster that everyone should experience? Oh, boy. Um, I think everyone should experience. I just went to a place called Kennywood Park in Pittsburgh, and they have three roller coasters that were designed by a man named John Miller. John Miller uh, grew up and lived in Homewood, Illinois, which you know Homewood, Illinois. Very well. Right. And he was the guy who invented... uh, all of these, like when you go up a roller coaster hill and you hear that click, 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 that's this, that's this, this device underneath the car that if the ride were to stop, it keeps it from falling back down the hill and going back to the station and maybe killing you or other people. He invented that. He also invented the wheel that goes underneath the track. So that allows like tight turns and you to go upside down because if not, the car would just fall off the track. He invented a lot of the things that go along with roller coasters and he designed, I mean, I don't know, hundreds of roller coasters, and they still have three of his rides. I went on one of his rides, this Kennywood Park, 99 years old, this ride. Everyone needs to go on a ride like that, a ride that is ridiculously fun. It's wooden, and it's still around 100 years later. Coney Island Cyclone, you got to go to New York and ride something like that because when you're on it, you think, gosh, that was 100 years ago, so that would have been 1919. In 1919... People were riding that. That had to be insane, if you think about it. They didn't have crazy thrill rides. They didn't have launch. Television. They didn't have television. So imagine, (laughs) like, you walk in and there's a freaking roller coaster. They had to be like, what the hell is this? This is crazy. And everybody must have been talking about it. And then they have to go to explain it to somebody else. Like, I went on this thing. that was like a car, but it wasn't. It was like a plane, sort of. But I was flying, and that was on the open. Um, So... I think, like, going through some of the history, like, I love seeing the engineering, like, marbles. And the go, they have the, one of his old rides that's about, you know, 90-plus years old next to this brand-new steel curtain ride that's themed after the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's 220 feet tall. It goes upside down nine times, and it does all this insane stuff. So to go from, to see, like, this is where that started and to where it is now, um, that's why I love the I just love the old the old wooden roller coasters especially the ones that are still really fun and really thrilling uh, to do that. So I really recommend that. If you're a person that's local and you've never been to Six Flags Great America, Wizards a ride there that is open with the park. 
is an electric roller coaster that it's the only one of its kind in the whole world. Like, there's no other ride like that. And if you've been on the Wizard, it was great when you were a teenager because if you went there with your girl, your significant other, whoever that might be, they sit in your lap on the ride, so you loved Wizard for that. But it's a really... um, it's a fun, like, thrilling ride you can take your kids on, and uh, it's fun enough for adults, but then it's also, like, tame enough so kids can go on it. Um, so I love the rides with, like, history and their story and that are unique. So don't necessarily always – don't forget the rides that you might walk past and go right to the biggest thing in the park. Mm. Don't skip those. Don't skip the flat rides either. The rides that are like the spinning rides and those sorts of things either. Because some of those are really, really fun, but people walk right past them thinking like, I I need to go wait in line for two hours on the biggest coaster. Don't skip some of those flat rides either. I could talk about this all day. I know. That's why you have a podcast. You're you're probably uh, disappointed that you asked the question. No, not at all. I could keep talking about it. Also, when you go to an amusement park, because I'm going to give you a tip. All right, you ready? This is what they've told me. When you walk in, you're there at opening maybe and the crowds are walking in. Always go to the left. Because everybody, statistically, goes to the right. Because we're right-handed as a I guess. as a society? But they've told me that. And ever since they've told me that, go to the left, and you're going to walk on like three or four rides. Because everyone starts to the right, and they go on like the first ride there and then the second ride there. So if you go to the left, you're going to hit whatever rides are on the left and probably walk on to like three or four of the rides on the left. That is a fantastic tip. Yeah, you're welcome. Do you want to keep that Northwestern cup? Uh, no, I've got plenty. <laughs> This right. is a really nice, like, ceramic cup, though. Well, the, it's it's funny because I have, like, a bunch of cups, and then Northwestern usually sends stuff, like, the season's get, the football season's getting ready to start up, so they send us stuff. Like, that's a heavy cup, man. Like, it's yeah. very well made. So I have all sorts of little cups like that for when people come in, and if I didn't, if I was dumb enough not to buy a bottle of water for them, um, I have cups. So, you know. I figured with you being Northwestern, it was a perfect cup for you. It was very nice. Maybe I should, um, I should make that like a thing. Like I should I should get a cup that matches the person that I'm going to talk to. Right. Because I went to NIU technically. But I, I know, feel like but, connected to Northwestern now. Right. right yeah, right. You're, you're all over the place between NIU, DePaul, and, yeah. and Northwestern. You're NIU covered. NIU closed their TV station. I know. And they've kind of moved on from television. It, which it, it upsets of, me. My good friend Amy it, Barrows teaches up there, and, and it, it, she used to bring me up there, and I'd yeah. talk about the importance mm-hmm. of it. And its proximity to Rockford and Chicago yeah. makes it a perfect place to— And I feel like they kind of felt like, well, you know, Northwestern, even DePaul, and other schools do that, so we'll just— But you could have been like the— all right, so you couldn't get into Northwestern. So you can't get into DePaul. I couldn't get into Northwestern, all right? I couldn't when I was in high school. There's no shot I would have gotten in there. I might not have gotten into DePaul. I'm not sure. But I'm sitting on an anchor desk every day with somebody who went to Harvard, with somebody who went to graduate school at Northwestern. And Morgan Kolkmeyer also went to NIU. So, and Sarah Ginger went to U of I. So I'm at the table, okay? You didn't have to go to Harvard. She got a great education at Harvard, no doubt, no doubt. Many things that I didn't get, but they could have been the, you know, the sidebar to right. some of these other schools. And hey, we're a lot cheaper. Hey, we're close to home. You don't even really have to live here. You can commute here and still get a great education. But I don't. That's a long story, man. But I know. I, I know. Disappoint- the, it's disappointing. The budget stuff is a big part of it, it too. Is, it is a big part of it. But and- I hope that they. I hope that they understand that there's extreme value, and maybe there's a way to bring it back. Because I, I, I worked with with some of the professors there, and I was like, you know what, these students are getting a good education. Mm-hmm. Like they're 
they are learning the things that they will need to help them succeed. Right. I just I wish there was more funding for them. Maybe when we become rich and famous. Yeah, maybe. We could do something. <laughs> right. We should do like a like a fundraiser or something for that department. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if the first first things first they'd have to reach out. Like they they didn't really do much of that either. Oh, that's so, sad. Yeah, it's a little disappointing. I'm not going to lie. So, but I feel you on that, man. Yeah. Cuz you could have helped. I would have done I don't know if I could have helped. I would have tried. I would have tried if I would have known, but just didn't know. But Well, we'll, we'll And a lot of people felt that way. Matt Knutson, my buddy I was just talking about a while ago, he went there with me, and he felt the same. A lot of people felt the same way, but you know what? They've got to make the decisions that they're making. Yeah. And I, I don't – I sympathize with them for, like you were saying, budget and all that kind of stuff. But it's just was a little disappointing. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Well, Marcus, I, sir, appreciate you being available. I know that you you got to get your nap in. Um, yeah. and thank you for coming downtown to, to do this. And I offered to do the Skype thing. Like I wanted, I was like, man, Marcus would be the perfect guy to do the, the Skype with because right. he's Mr. Tech, but this was even better. So I appreciate you coming and hanging out in studio. And I want to say this to anybody else too. Like if you, if people have any questions about our business and want to know more about like what I do or what we do at WGN people, anybody can reach out to me anytime. Like I'm on Twitter at Marcus LeShock, Facebook, I'm Marcus LeShock, Instagram at Marcus LeShock. Um, I'm always open for that. And I th- I'm, I'm sure you're always talking to people, too, who have those kind of questions also. Oh, 100%. It's the more people get involved with media and our business and what we do, the better. The better the better off we will be. So I agree with I you. I think it's cool that you do this. So I appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much. I always like talking with smart bi- people in our business. And uh, hopefully this, I mean, obviously it will still be out there and it will be nice and archived. And people can listen back to the tips that you gave or Anyone else that it, well, let me ask you this before I, yeah, I complete. No problem. Who at your place do I have to put on this podcast? Um. Wow. Who do you have to put on this podcast? Ben's already place? been on it. Lourdes has already been Lourdes, on it. Ben. Um. My goodness. I'm gonna I'm gonna track down LJ, but she's chasing down giant children. Yeah, she's so. real busy. Uh, she's got a lot going on. Who? Gosh, who else should you talk to? Um, man, I would, I'm going to get back to you on that. Okay. I mean, there's everybody. I would say everybody. Um, are you looking for just on air people? You know, what would be really great. You should talk to at some point and maybe it's not even WGN, like a photographer, like a guy, Mike D'Angelo at our station is the guy who like travels all over the world shooting all of our stuff. When we got to go do something with the Pope, he goes to the Vatican when, uh, somebody like that who's like on the ground every day shooting something different all over the world. Great stories from somebody like that. Also, like, uh, some of our reporters are awesome. Like, Mike Lowe, who I mentioned, is a great writer and great reporter. Um, the biggest Bears fan that I know. Oh, That's I know. the biggest Bears fan that I know. Ask Mike Lowe about his internship experience at uh, Channel 9. Okay. Because guess who he interned after and was often compared to? Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. It still bothers him, as it should, as it should. He's very talented. You know what I'm thinking about hitting up, and I don't know if she would have time? I'm thinking about asking Jen. Jen Lyons? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She would be. I'm fascinated by her. Yeah. She's had a great, really interesting career. Um, And she worked on our morning show. She was produced that morning show for a long time before she kind of moved up the ranks to assistant news director and now news director. And... um, yeah, I, I I would love to ask her 
a ton of questions just about her life and well if i get her i'll i'll, I'll hit you up and you can, <laughs> right yeah you can throw a couple questions in to the right. mix she would be great thanks marcus thanks man Man, I love talking to that dude. I think that he's really sharp, really smart, very interesting, and and WGN is very lucky to have him. He he grinds, man. He works super hard, and I think it's appreciated. I think the bosses over there appreciate the way that Marcus goes about doing his work. And again, his coasting the country podcast is a thing. I, I'm not one. I'm not big on roller coasters. It's not really my thing. But Marcus, if if you want to know about roller coasters all over the United States, he has got you covered. So thanks to Marcus and WGN for for hanging out and, and being on the podcast today. Uh, that was fun. Uh, I'm, so I can tell you a little bit about the the process of putting the podcast together. So I finally got my basically my studio at home which is really just a laptop a mixing board and my Marantz in my office is finally working so I want to give a big shout out to my guy Dom who's one of the engineers over at the score and I was telling him how I was having just this awful problem of I couldn't get my laptop to recognize my USB microphones and I have this mixing board, which is a USB mixing board, which is great because then I could just put things into Adobe and edit it that way. And what I was doing before was like I would if I did an interview at the studio, which I did with Marcus, I did, I haven't invited anyone to the house since Jason and was that episode two. And but now it gives me the opportunity to do that now that I have the mixing board up and running that I can just invite people to the house. But for some reason, I'm sitting there and I'm I'm not I'm not a, a technological idiot when it comes to some of this sound stuff. And I knew that I was doing things right. Like I knew that I was I had everything set right in Adobe. So I'm just sitting there going, this is stupid. I should be able to do a lot of this stuff at home. It would cut down on a lot of my day to day stress in putting stuff together, whether it's this podcast or Loho Daily. And so I went to Dom, who's a, a genius, who, by the way, speaking of WGN, he his wedding proposal to his girlfriend, Gianna, went viral. And he was actually on Channel 9 talking about it. It's a pretty incredible video, and it really raises the bar for anyone who is thinking about doing a, a proposal. So Dominic Medicino is his name. If you want to, you want to go, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, honestly, it's a beautiful film that he put together. It's like seven and a half minutes long. So I bring, I bring all my stuff in. I was like, Dom, I'm bringing everything I have into the score. So you can take a look at what's going on. And he said, well, it seems like you have everything all set up and everything seems to be cool what's going on so he's like doing all this stuff the same stuff that i did and we're not understanding why there's a problem so if you're a podcaster this might be and you're having some of the same issues the, this might be helpful to you we updated adobe so i you know i got the latest version of adobe and then that didn't work and so i'm sitting there stuck because basically what i would do at home is if i had a podcast at home, I would record into my Marantz, dump the recording. I would 
take the MP3 and then put it into Adobe and then edit it and then send it out. And I felt like even that it's an easy step, but it's still a step that's a waste of time. So now like this is, I'm putting it straight into Adobe. I'll be able to edit it and then send it out. So I usually do, I, I don't usually do the front end and the back end of the pods on the same day that I do the interview. I usually wait, I go back and listen, and then I, I put it back together. So now I can do that at home, which is nice. And I know it's not completely perfect. I'm still working through some of the bugs with it, but it's nice to be able to, to do this this way now. It's nice to be able to, to, to have a, basically a working studio at home now which is super cool and allows me to do a lot of cool stuff so shout out to dom because without dom i don't think i would have been able i would have i was tearing my hair out the the little hair that i have left i i was tearing it out because i knew i wasn't stupid at least on this particular subject i wasn't stupid but in some of these in 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 my mac like you have to you have to give the Mac permission from the security drop downs to allow the USB microphones to work. So two technological advances for this podcast over the last couple of weeks, I did like a bunch of beta testing with conferencing in people. So people that I can't get into the studio, it kind of opens up a world of possibilities for people that I can bring on which I am uh, very, very excited about, especially considering some of the people that I've reached out to. So it's kind of like a brand new day for the House of L podcast. And I thank you for sticking with me and sticking with this podcast as we grow and change and bring interesting people on. Thanks again to Marcus Lashak for being on the podcast. He's dope. I got a great episode coming up for you next week. It's already in the can, man, and it's going to be awesome. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. See you next time. Peace.